0: Saturday Night Live might have been a total flop. After all, in looking back at the writers in that very first year of SNL, the big personalities in the room all competing to have their ideas front and center could have been disastrous to the success of the show. The writers were a ragtag bunch who could very well have not collaborated or worked together to create the magic that they ended up making. But who or what is attributed to making it work? Well, It was Lorne Michaels, executive producer and creator of SNL, and his belief in the power of ostentatious listening. Ostentatious listening. Showing that everyone is listening by picking up on nonverbal cues and drawing people into the conversation. This, in turn, helped create a space that was psychologically safe. Specifically, when in a meeting, Lorne Michaels wouldn't let anyone get up from the table until everyone had spoken. Everyone must contribute to the conversation and every other person is listening closely, as closely as they possibly can, to what is being said. SNL is a success because Lorne Michaels creates psychological safety so that everyone's ideas are heard. There is an awesome short video by author Charles Duhigg that explains SNL's listening strategy as a way to cultivate high-performance teams. And it was today's guest who showed me that video. Oliver Martin is a mediator, facilitator, workplace consultant, and leadership coach. He provides conflict resolution, negotiation, mediation, and leadership training to organizations and the general public throughout Canada, the Caribbean, and the United States. He also works with organizations to provide workplace restorations and with leaders to address challenges within their workplace. The desire to transform relationships in neighborhoods and communities led Oliver to begin practicing mediation in 2003. Since then he has mediated numerous interpersonal, organizational, and community conflicts regarding various issues. Now listening is critical to effective mediation, and I recently stumbled across a thought by author Adam Grant that really bridges the gap well between professional conflict resolution and remaining open to everyday creative conflict. He said this, don't listen to people because you agree with their answers. Listen because you respect the intellectual integrity that they bring to their questions. You learn more from people who challenge your thought process than from those who affirm your conclusions. Yes. So in moving ahead with today's episode, I recommend that you keep an open mind to what we can learn from a professional mediator as it applies to our small daily conflicts. In this conversation, Oliver articulates what active listening looks like, why our brains make it so difficult to actively listen, as well as why listening is hugely important as a means to help others clarify their own thoughts. Oliver reminds us that listening is a superpower in the pursuit of what it means to be human and connect with others, offering strategic approaches to becoming a better listener today. Let's get compassionately curious. Oliver, please tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: So I I think part of my purpose here in this planet, in this space, is is to help people work together a little bit better, to help people collaborate. So essentially, I see it as I help people connect to themselves, to others, and to systems um, in order to create the change that they are seeking in their life, whether that be improvements, whether that be changing direction, changing course. So I do that as 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 a mediator. I also work as an instructor, so I teach things around conflict resolution and so forth, and also a coach. So whether it's a personal coach, leadership coach, I do some coaching as well, and then I do some team development or facilitation. So in all those aspects, I'm really helping people You know, as a coach connect to self, meaning get aware of their blind spots, increase some self-awareness, see how they're getting in their own way in terms of achieving their goals. As a mediator, I'm helping people to connect with each other. So truly see if you can really listen and hear and understand different perspectives, uh, engage the other side in order to, again, build a stronger relationship. And then with the facilitation, um, it's now how can you do that on a bigger level with teams or organizations, help them really understand the different parts of the system that are creating what's going on and how they really need to connect with those different parts to kind of shift the system. Um, so yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. And, um, I think one of the areas I'm kind of focusing right now in terms of the mediation work is even when things don't always resolve. Um, so people don't walk away, like giving each other a big hug, are people learning a little bit more about themselves from the conflict? Are they learning a little bit more about them in relation to the other person? And are they learning a bit more about the contributing factors that might've contributed to that conflict? So one of the benefits of conflict is the learning that takes place. And right now I'm just focusing a little bit more on are people getting the learning, even mm. if they don't, you know, come up with the best plan forward, let's say. So, so that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. And I have a couple kids, um, you know, I have a partner, um, you know, trying to enjoy life. <laughs>
0: I love it. And yeah, so I think that's really, really an interesting piece is kind of that that learning and self-improvement aspect. And I feel like what you do is almost like a parfait. There's these layers. Oh <laughs> parfait. And you've got the the individual, you've got the kind of right. team or or partnership, and then you've got the, the, the or maybe the partnership and then the bigger team yeah. working together.
1: Yeah, we're not in this world in isolation. <laughs> we're, right. we're always in a relationship. Um, relationship yes. to others, relation with ourselves and with the broader communities and so forth. So how do we just make those connections a little bit stronger so that we can all hopefully mutually benefit in some way? That's the ideal Oliver here. <laughs> uh, so
0: it's perfect. I love the ideal Oliver. I love it. And as someone who mediates really uh, you between different professional groups let's Mm. say i mean you do lots of listening yeah so in your experience like what does active listening what does wholehearted listening look like
1: yeah yeah i love that so so i'd say this so definitely as a mediator engaged in a lot of listening i'd actually like to say as a human I try to engage in a lot of listening, right? So right now I'm really trying to listen to you. I try to listen to my kids. I try to listen to my colleagues. So I'm always engaging as much as possible in in active listening. Of course, yes, I'm really focused when people are in conflict. I'm trying to mediate that between them. So what does it look like? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't look like first, and I'll tell you what it looks like. (laughs) What it doesn't look like, I think at times, is the what people sometimes think is the uh-huh uh-huh mm, uh, you know all those grunts and moans that we do sometimes to kind of show someone we're listening. like we risk being a bit robotic and not really listening so I think what it looks like is is the sincerity like really trying to say what, what's Diana trying to tell me here her words what's beyond those words a little bit It's, it's paraphrasing back at times what you're saying to show you that's the active part, right? To show you that I'm hearing you. I think so often what I see in conflict is, um, and perhaps you can relate, or people listening can relate someone saying something and you're a bit upset or whatever. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I understand you. Yeah, yeah. I understand. And like, I told you, I understand. And what I say is what the miss is you need to show them. You understand. Mm. We show people we understand by paraphrasing something back. So, so Diana, what I think you're saying there is that's showing. And if I get it wrong, you then kind of correct, but you know that I'm engaged. So I think that's what active listening looks like. It's that curiosity. It's asking those questions. Here's what I'd say. Here's something that I've learned over the years. It's, It's helping people to clarify their thoughts it's helping people to clarify their thoughts. So especially as a coach, what happens at times is I'll ask the questions and, and dig a little bit deeper, stay in the curiosity and get people to reflect. And they start to dig a bit deeper internally and clarify their thoughts and they finish and they say, oh my gosh, Oliver, this was so helpful. Oh, thank you so much. I'm like, well, I didn't give you any advice. <laughs> like, no, I didn't have to give advice. I just had to help them clarify their thoughts. And and little stat around this that I heard, don't know if you've heard this before, um, They say we speak approximately at 125 words per minute. So right now, and I know I speak a little bit faster. People on average, different cultural differences, speak at about 125 words per minute. We can listen at 400 words per minute. So think about that. As I'm speaking to you right now, Diana, I'm speaking at about 125, 130. You're listening at about 400. So what does that mean? You can fill in some stuff as you're listening to me, which is why it makes it so hard to actively listen, because as one person speaking, you're already forming thoughts, opinions, and so forth, which is why at times you just wait for the person to pause. So you can jump in <laughs> and then say, okay, here's, a, you know, so, so I just share that to say, there's actually things that are going on, which can make it challenging. I'm going to add another piece for you Dana. here. <laughs> as the speaker, I speak at 125 words per minute. I can think at about eight to hundred 800 to 900 words per minute. So think about that. I'm getting out 125 words per minute. I can think at about 800, 900, which means unless I'm very good, I'm not getting out everything that I actually want to say. So as the listener, if I can get the person to activate those other pieces there, then I can fully understand what's going on here and really show them that I'm listening and they're going to feel really heard in that. So. Thank you for listening to that. I know I went on a bit there. (laughs)
0: That was great. You said a lot. You said a lot. And let me try to, oh, man, I feel like I'm on the spot trying to exemplify active listening back to you. But, but... What I will say is that clarifying, helping someone to clarify their own thought process, I think is such a brilliant way to think about active listening, because that's exactly right. I was in a meeting with a colleague yesterday, and she said to me, okay, I just need a bit of help. I'm trying to figure out this this um, uh, title for my research project. And I sat there silently, and she said, okay, well, it's about this, and it's about this, and it's about this. So I think it's about this. And oh, and uh, got it. And I was like... I said not a word, but for her, it was just the act of bouncing an idea off of someone, of articulating her thoughts, of organizing those thoughts. I didn't have to do anything. Right. And she was like, thank you. I was like, "Mm -hmm.
1: "Well, And I'm Mm going to tell you what you did. You were silent. And you gave her that space. And oh my gosh, I can't remember the technical term for this. But when you look at the word silent, silent um, spelled backwards is listen.
0: Shut up. Is it? No, close.
1: No, no, I said that wrong. <laughs> the same words, the same letters. Sorry. Look at that. The same letters in the word "silent" or in the word "listen." Yeah, got it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, makes more sense. There. Got right. it. <laughs> that's like no. That sounded too, too good. It's like um, there's another one that 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 actually is backwards. That's pretty nice, but I don't want to get it wrong, so I won't say. But yeah, just notice the same words are there. Right, So that tells us something. So you were doing something, you were listening, you were creating the space. Too often the person would have started by saying, oh, I'm trying to figure out what the title should be. And then you jump in. Oh, well, it reminds me of when I was in a similar thing. And what I did was, and now we've centered ourselves in a sense. And I'm
0: so guilty of that. We all are. I'm so guilty of that. And so I'm so glad this experience just yesterday happened because I saw the magic of listening, of providing, giving that space, of being silent, just shutting up. And that person was able to make sense of her thoughts. Which was such a a cool thing. And and also going back to what you said there about how fast we speak on average, how fast we can listen, and how fast we can think. I mean, those are all really, I think, valuable, important metrics that quantify why listening can be so challenging.
1: 100%. That's why it resonated with me. Exactly. Mm. Because now we can maybe take a bit of the pressure off ourselves in terms of, oh, I'm not getting this right. Why do I always disengage? Why do I always think other thoughts? It's like, understand what's going on here. And now that you're aware of that, what strategies might you be able to put in place to be aware of that? Might it be, I see a thought coming as the person is speaking to me and I, so I always have like a notepad beside me and I just write it down. So it's out of my head on paper. I know I can follow up with that after. Maybe that can help. At times, you know, I was coaching with someone and they said, you know, Oliver, um, it happens to me a lot. I get inside my own head and so forth. I said, you know, maybe at the beginning of the conversation, if it's really important, you just let the person know that. Just say, just so you know, really trying to pay attention to you at times. These thoughts come in my head and might look like I'm being, I'm not listening. I'm not being, dist- I, and I'm not paying attention. It's just that I, I'm kind of having this thought. You'll see me write it down, you know? So the other person doesn't like, why is this person always, are they trying to record something here? You know, so sometimes just putting it out in front, I think can be helpful, but yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, adding that authenticity and that openness of communication at the beginning to set expectations and help everyone understand what's going on.
1: Anyone that knows me knows I say a lot of times, let's just keep it real. Like, you know, we always, we all want to, I guess, come across as being this perfect person at times and you know, we, we, we put on all this stuff and let's just keep it real and say, listen, I'm really trying to listen to you here, Diana. There are, you know, some kids running around in the background, like they're not here right now, but let's say they were. So, you know, at times you might see me turn just so you know, and you're like, Oh, thank you for sharing that Oliver. And, and now you don't assume when I keep looking away that I'm not listening. Right. I'm just,
0: And not only that, I think that also adds a level of, I mean, that specific example, but in general too a level of humanity or level of, oh, I know you a little bit better. I can understand your situation a little bit better. Maybe you do have the kids running around and there's that there's (laughs) that level of also kind of just um, letting the situation unfold as it does. And And not feeling the need for these weird expectations set upon a conversation.
1: And as I can be a bit more authentic and a bit more real it models behavior, and you can be that back in that conversation. And now we leave a bit the conversation saying, oh, wow, I really feel that Diana and myself, we connected here.
0: Changing the world one authentic conversation at a time. One
1: conversation at a time, right? All conflicts in this world it usually resolves after a conversation. <laughs> Sometimes like, why don't you just have the conversation first?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so. Now, I've heard you talk about a really great example of the power of listening from the book, Getting to Yes, all about an orange. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you, if possible, to share this story with us. And really kind of like, what are the lessons to be learned as they relate to the power of listening?
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, you're talking about the story. It comes from a book called Getting to Yes, written by Roger Fisher and Bill Ury. Uh, So professors from Harvard, uh, folks a lot in negotiation, um, conflict resolution, and how do we get people to yes. And book I think came back out in the 80s and it's a foundation for a lot of I think negotiation um, training that goes on in in the world today so in the book they use an example about an orange so I'm going to remix it a little bit put my little spin to it but essentially the story goes like this a teacher walks into a classroom, and we're gonna say there are two kids who are 10 years old. One is Layla, one is Miles. And the teacher walks in and sees these two kids fighting over this orange. And all the teacher hears when the teacher walks in is, I want the orange, no, I want the orange, no, I want, the, no, I want, like back and forth, right? Anyone that has kids already knows that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, dad is like, yep, that's me. Um, so the question, is, the question that's posed is, okay, so these two kids, are fighting over this orange and they're saying, I want it, no, I want it, no, I want it. As the teacher, how might you resolve it? And let me ask you, Diana, what do you think most people say in terms of how would you resolve that situation? What do you think most people say?
0: Uh, you can split the orange right, in half. Right. You can,
1: yeah. yeah. Let's, let's cut this thing in half. Like, right? think about it. We've, I think, grown up to a certain extent that we almost um, equate negotiating with compromise right? Like, so you yes. split in half, right? 50-50. You get half, you get half, right? Or, or people are negotiating, let's say, returning to returning to work. Um, well, um, fine. Uh, you don't want to come in, but I need you in. Fine. Three days a week, right? Let's split in half, you know, kind of thing. Um, so, so definitely that's one way to resolve it. Let's split in half. It's 50-50. It's, it, it can be seen as fair. There are other ways that this can be resolved. Some people will say, you know, well, why don't I take the orange away? The teacher just take the orange away. Right, mm-hmm. and especially those that have kids <laughs> will probably understand it. At least take it away. No one gets the orange. Right there, you go. Right, <laughs> yeah. it's going to a kid who actually will take care of it. <laughs> so, so again, the question I ask is, what allows the teacher to do that to take away the orange? What allows the teacher to do that? Their power, right? So, and again, isn't that how we resolve things at times using our power? Our power as manager, our power as you know maybe being the eldest, our power as president, our power. From We get different sources of power, right? Our power, because I'm more educated, I have the higher degree, I have more seniority, I'm physically stronger. So it's just another way that people use to resolve these situations. Then other people will say, well, what if you um, ask, whose orange is it? Yeah, like Layla, is it your, like, who brought the orange to the classroom? Whose orange is it? And again, what we're trying to get at there is who has kind of a, a right to this o- orange ownership, a legal right. And again, uh, people would say that's a rights-based approach to resolving conflict, meaning that at um, if, this pr- if it's, they have ownership of it, it, it belongs to them. So what um, criteria can we use to determine who should get this orange? So again, it's another way that things are resolved. And then finally, some people might say, you know, let's flip a coin. Heads, Layla, you get it. Tails, Miles, you get it. Again, because there's some fairness in the process because the process is random, right? We don't know you know, which, which way that coin is gonna land. So there's a certain fairness to that. So um, just using that orange, you see how these different kind of examples come out. So what happens, right? People are wondering, okay, I'll ever get to it. What happened here? So what the teacher does is the teacher does what most people do, cuts the orange in half, gives half to Layla, half to Miles, and guess what? the conflict seems to be resolved. No one is arguing anymore. The teacher's like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at this thing. I don't need any trading on this stuff. I know how to resolve conflict, just splitting nap So what the teacher then notices that Layla takes her half of the orange. She peels it, it takes the peel off, puts it in the compost, starts to eat the, the fruit, looks at Miles, Miles does a similar thing in terms of he peels, takes the peel off of the orange, only he keeps the peel and puts the fruit in the compost. Okay. What's going on here? So the teacher asks, um, Layla, so let me understand you threw away the peel and you kept the fruit. She goes, yeah, duh. I was hungry. I wanted to eat this orange. Okay. That's what I thought. The teacher then goes to Miles and says, okay, you kept the peel and threw away the fruit. It's like, well, yeah, because I had this recipe to make this to bake this cake and it needs the rind, the peel from the orange to get it just right. Oh, Mm. Right. So when people read that or they hear that story, they start to realize, is, was there a better way to resolve this? And immediately they realize, oh, Layla could have had all the fruit. Miles could have had all the peel. And we call that kind of an interest-based approach to problem solving or to resolving conflict. And that's to say, what do I mean by an interest-based approach? How do we understand people's true underlying wants, needs, goals, desires, or what their concerns are? See, when we get to that level, it increases our likelihood of coming up with optimal ideas, resolutions, ways to solve problems. So, so that in a nutshell was kind of the orange example there. Um, so I think if, in terms of your question about you know what lessons can we take away around the listening, the teacher missed on that possible enhanced solution because of not listening, not being curious and asking those questions. So I I see you're both in conflict um, over this orange. Let me me just check in with you. What's important to you about that orange? What are you trying to kind of achieve with that orange? And she might have said, well, I'm trying to, you know, satisfy my hunger. What about you, Miles? What's important to you about that orange? Oh, well, I need to bake the cake. Oh, see, we don't do enough of that. And yes, I'm not, I don't want people listening to say, come on, Oliver, not everything is an orange in appeal. I get it, right? There's not every resolution is going to be an orange in appeal. But what I've learned is we don't know that at the outset. We don't know that until we ask the questions. We don't know that until we're curious. And I'm going to tell you what the side effect is. So if you ever know those medication bottles that say side effects are, the side effect (laughs) of doing this active listening thing is that people are going to see you as a bit more authentic. They're going to feel respected, but you're not being robotic. They're going to feel heard. I'm reminded of a quote I Want to misattribute it. I think it's been attributed to Winston Churchill, maybe it's some other people. And it says, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and so often when we have different ideas so maybe you have different ideas around you know maybe it's around uh designing a, a product packaging and you have one idea someone else has another idea and you try to show well the research shows that this color is going to map on better right and the reason person is not hearing you because they don't think that you really care about their idea on this so how do we actively listen to what's their concern with going in my direction and once i hear that then they might care about all the data, the research, whatever I have. So that's what I pull out from, from that story a lot.
0: I love that story yeah. and I think it's such a like a neat and tidy little parable for what list like the power of listening and, and what we can achieve when we yeah. do dig down and understand those underlying motivations. And and everything you were saying there actually reminded me of two things. Yeah. So one, I was in an improv workshop yesterday ah. to it was pretty cool to uh, with our our Master of Digital Media students to kind of take this idea of yes. Right, and right. For, for innovation right so the idea of saying um uh, whatever idea is coming at us yes and have we also thought about this right so it's taking it accepting it making people feel heard and then building on it and even if the uh even if we don't necessarily agree with the idea it's yes it's still a matter of saying yes yeah. i hear you and have we thought about this? Mm. So it's it's can be used in either agreeing or in disagreeing and still allow that person to feel heard, which I thought was brilliant.
1: It's it's acknowledging what they're saying. And that's what we want a lot of time. Let's acknowledge my thoughts. Too often instead of the and, did they talk about like what do people use instead of the and? Did they say anything about that? But but right. But but and hardly anything comes good after a but. Right, just think about our lives. You know, Diana, that was a great research report you did. But, like already, you're thinking, oh, here it comes, right? Or back if you were dating. You know, I, I really enjoyed going out with you, but <laughs> right, you, nothing good really comes after a but. Nothing you know, good, mice, right? So let's let's join it with an and. I acknowledge what you're saying, and can we build here, right? So love it, mm-hmm. love it, yeah, yeah. Did a lot yesterday, yeah, with this other person about their research. Oh my goodness! Improv, like-
0: listen. <laughs> Listen. It was a busy day. I was so mentally exhausted at the end of yesterday. I went to bed at eight eight p.m. Anyway, that's an aside. the The, the second thing, the second thing that I uh, that I thought of as you were you were speaking yeah. is this idea of feeling heard. And this is perhaps a little bit of a left turn, but there's a really incredible researcher um, and author by the name of Sherry Turkle. Mm-hmm. And Sherry Turkle has uh, she's done a TED talk all about the the internet and social media and why. We are essentially alone together. Right? It's this idea of, of us all existing as individuals not connected as a community, yada yada. However, however, what she says, which is really interesting to me, is that social media it, as a as a platform or a series of platforms right. really provides us with three fantasies, the right. ability to realize three fantasies. One of which is that we can draw or put our attention Anywhere in the world that we want at any time. So we have that control. Number two is that we can always be heard, which I think is something that we just don't hear enough in real life or right. feel enough in real life, which is why it is such a tantalizing fantasy that it we always feel heard on social media. And the third is that we will never have to be alone. And so I just I thought it was such uh, an important tie in to what you were saying, because Ultimately, what, why I think this is so important, the topic of listening and what you do as a profession is because we don't feel heard so much of the time. And it is such a challenge to uh, communicate with another person in an age where they can direct their attention and their focus and their energy in any direction they want through the power of a supercomputer in their pocket. And so I think that it th- that's why... For me, this is such an important topic.
1: Yeah, so many distractions out there, um, and I love this. So thank you for sharing that. Um, just even though the, the 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 language of the the fantasy, <laughs> in a sense. And um, you know, the, I was just making some notes there, of her name and um, the autonomy, never alone. There's just something about people wanting to, you know, be connected, um, and I think listening is that little superpower. They can help mm-hmm. people with that, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: I agree. And I guess I just have two two kind of final questions yeah. for you, Oliver. The first of which is, in your experience, does deep listening allow us to tap into creative problem solving? And perhaps we've already touched on this a little bit, but I'd love to know your thoughts a little bit more specifically about that, that creative problem solving aspect. And then maybe secondly, like what is at the intersection of listening and creativity?
1: Yeah. Okay. So great question. So let me, let me think about this here. Um, as a mediator, I know one of the things I'm trying to do is really get people to listen and hear each other because yes, to answer your question, yes, by really hearing each other and getting to that level of what's underlying, what, what's really motivating people, that's going to allow for those creative ideas to come out. So hundred percent, I'd say that deep lift, that deep listening does help us Tap into the creativity in two ways. One, so if you and I have, let's say, we have opposing views on something. By me really listening to, so what's important to you about that view, Diana, and you sharing that, that's going to give me some more insight. Also, it's going to help you clarify some of those thoughts about why it's important. Because at times you know it subconsciously, but you haven't really articulated it. So you know the the person, no, they Layla knew she wanted the orange. Consciously, she might have. Not really thought about, well, subconsciously, it's because I'm starving here and I haven't eaten this and what. so by me asking, I'm getting the information, I'm also helping you to clarify those thoughts. So I tell people the questions I ask a lot in these mediations and so forth is, you know, so what's important what's what's important about that thing that you want or that way you want to do things? So what's important ab- ab- about that for you? What's your concern if you're not able to get it? That's going to help people to go a bit deeper. And then the big questions are, I just say things such as, okay, can you say a little bit more about that? Now I'm accessing that part that, that those words that they weren't able to get out. Or I'll say things such such as, um, okay, and what else is important? Because what I've realized is that that first thing that someone says is not always the only thing. It's what they're comfortable saying at first. And to your point with, with your colleague, I need to create the space where they can explore a little bit more. So once they get all of that out, now we've tapped in to, to we've increased our likelihood of the create, creative ideas, the creativity there. So what's at that intersection? I'd say it's the curiosity. It's really staying authentically curious. And I don't want people to, because I've said that before to, to people and, and people I think almost heard curiosity as I need to interrogate. So Diana, why do you want that? Huh? What's going on? And it's, No, I say, let's be compassionately curious. Let's have some compassion with that curiosity, and just open the space. You know, you know what? I'll tell you what. You turned me on to um, was, um, and I'm apologies if I get the names incorrect. Uh, the humans of New York, and mm-hmm. Brandon is his name, is it?
0: Brandon Stanton. Okay, yes. Brandon Stanton,
1: and I think he demonstrates this this well, right? He's he's compassionately curious with these strangers that he walks up to and he meets. He creates this space for them to be open to share something doesn't interject, just ask those kind of curious questions and they go a bit deeper. And as they share something, they see he's not reacting with judgment. He's not reacting um, in a way that's that's kind of threatening. They share a little bit more and then the stories come out. And, And in a similar way, that's what I'm trying to get to do with parties in interpersonal conflicts where something has gone on that has caused them to disconnect from each other is to really do the deep listening be curious. And then you'll see some ideas come out that they weren't, they weren't going to get to before. Um, so yeah, so they say, what curiosity killed the cat, but made a great mediator.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I love the idea of, or just the phrase, compassionate curiosity, because I think that gets at a lot of what can happen and and the exciting opportunities that exist when we listen and we listen to uh, ultimately hopefully get to a creative outcome whether that is the solving a problem whether that's innovating the next whatever yeah that that compassionate curiosity leads to creativity
1: and i think what helps is then once you dig deeper, and you get some of these things out, now we have to figure out, now that I understand your full perspective, you feel heard, and I feel you've heard me, now how do we move things forward? And just by a little phrasing such as, okay, so Dana, how can we kind of meet what's important to you and what's important to me? And that opens up the possibilities, right? The how can we, so I've joined us, like how can we, so now it's not me versus you, right? It's me and you versus figuring out what ideas can we brainstorm creatively come up with. And I think that gets to things. I'm going to share share a quick story with you from my mediation. So I haven't really talked about mediations. So let me talk about mediation a bit and how this kind of ties in. So I've been mediating for probably, I'm going to say about 18 years now. I got into, or maybe 15, anyways, um, I got into um, community mediation initially. So this was back in, I think it was 20, 2003. And um, so I was involved in, medi- in mediating just community disputes, neighbor-neighbor disputes, maybe businesses in a local community with the neighborhood. So um, I met these two people who were neighbors who were in dispute. So they were neighbors. And what it was, was um, this woman was feeding feral cats so stray cats that were in the neighborhood she was putting out some like food in her property and the cats would be attracted to it and come and eat so you get a bunch of these feral cats coming in and um she would then open her home so these stray cats could come inside so it's so, like huh, oh, what's she doing but okay that's a whole nother story here's the thing the neighbor next to her and they kind of shared this this backyard space he was annoyed because she would attract all these feral cats, they'd come over to his side, and they'd leave leave little gifts, little droppings, Mm -hmm. (laughs) little Mm -hmm. droppings in his yard, so he immediately wants her to get rid of the cats, and he wants to call the city to come and, you know, figure out what bylaw this is breaching, or whatever the kind of thing is, so it comes to community mediation, and I was one of the community mediators, so I meet with them individually, and I, again, I'm just listening, trying to get her story, because as I said, and people listening are probably like, why does she want, to take these stray cats into her house oh my gosh that's and when you get a bit compassionately curious and you really listen oh she's trying to help domesticate these stray cats so she wants to create a space where these cats can come feel comfortable and she shared a story about oh there's this one cat who was always scared of humans came into my place and you know what he, the cat even slept on the top of my sofa and I was close by sleeping like on the bottom of the sofa kind of thing and oh that was so nice like so that's what's drawing her to do this Right, the neighbor just thinks that what's 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 up with her. So now I ask him, I say, um, "So what's your what's your concern about these droppings?" Right, and I said, and I even said, "I know this is going to be a weird question. What's your concern about the droppings coming?" All right, and people listening, like, "Come on, Oliver, what do you mean? What's his concern? These droppings?" But really, what is the concern here? Is it the size of the droppings? <laughs> is it the location of the droppings? <laughs> Those droppings are right by my my uh, my uh, tomato garden. You know, what I mean? <laughs> Like right, we see we don't do that instinctively. We just assume that what we think is what they think. Let's be curious. So I asked him. He said, "Well, it's it's these droppings, and um, I don't know if you know Oliver that at times uh, feral cat droppings can be toxic, and especially in the summer when it's humid and and the, the the smell and we can't open our windows and we can smell this stuff and it's a health hazard." Oh, so that's what your concern is. It's about maintaining your health. Well, yeah. Okay. So bring them together to have that conversation, have them share this with each other. So now the question changes from, do we keep the cats or get rid of the cats? That's how it was presented to now, how can we ensure my health is maintained in a way that allows you to help domesticate these cats? What ideas can we have here? So ideas get brainstormed. Well, oh, maybe we can put up a fence, but then they have to figure out the cost of that fence. Um, maybe we get a dog, maybe get a dog, right? <laughs> but you start getting creative with this and it ended up for for these two, once they understood each other, she just said, you know what? I didn't realize that. Um, why not just come and clean up the droppings from your yard? And they worked out a schedule and what would happen if he wasn't um, aware if it was raining. Like, And they got a creative resolution only through the curiosity the deep listening do we generate these ideas that can help I think connect people a bit more in relationship together
0: listening helps fix even the poopiest problems
1: (laughs) (laughs) love it love it (laughs) there you go well
0: thank you for sharing that story and I think you're absolutely right I mean that That is such an important piece here is that there oftentimes is this, we think that there is a binary yes or no, right or wrong, black and white, whatever those two opposites are. But we all live in this messy gray in the middle. And I often talk about the kind of the messy gray in the middle with my creative students and with uh, in relation to designing for a brief and a little more kind of specific to the design world. But I think if we zoom out, that same type of conversation can absolutely apply in, as you have, have identified, mediation, problem solving, listening, conversation. There's so much richness in the middle. That we're often so tied to this idea of a binary yes or no, but that's those are not the only two options. And if,
1: and if we bring it to the design world, what I'd say is my sense, without being a designer, uh, is that sometimes some conflicts can come around, around, come up around ideas, difference of ideas, and when I have an idea, I'm likely going to own it because that idea says something about me, and and who I am and my identity and all these type of things. So now, when someone has an opposing idea that we see as opposing, it just hunkers us in a bit more, we get a bit more locked in on ours. And now it comes up as this dynamic dynamic of my idea versus your idea, a bit binary, which one are we going to choose? And what I'd offer is, if we can do some of this listening, to understand what's really important to you about your idea. And that's going to help to create more opportunities to move forward. So it's not either or, it could be a both and. And here's what I think that say that people find helpful at times, it changes the, the dynamic from, my idea versus your idea me versus you to these things are simply you and me versus the problem the problem is what's the best design and we can better achieve it if you and i are working together so let's shift it from me versus you to me and you versus the problem
0: you are A shining light, Oliver Martin. (laughs) I really appreciate our conversation today. This has been a really insightful discussion for me. And it's through you listening to me, I have, I think, been able to clarify some of those thoughts Mm. as well. So circling right back to the beginning. And I think that has, it's been uh, just a joy to chat with you about this very important topic.
1: Likewise, I'm learning as well try to always get the learning in these conversations. So it's been a learning opportunity for me. And I definitely appreciate that so much.
0: Thank you, Oliver. Thank you. Silence can feel uncomfortable, but a lull in conversation is fine. Nay, encouraged, as it opens doors to increased confidence in ourselves as communicators as well as what can emerge in a conversation when we pause for a few beats longer. This listening invitation requires that you get into a room with another person, whether that's with them in person or you can do this virtually as well. With your phones away and other distractions minimized, sit in silence with your partner. Level up by maintaining eye contact throughout this experience. Refrain from speaking. Sit there with them in silence for about four minutes. After the time is up, take a couple of minutes afterwards to jot down any thoughts, ideas, or insights that arose from the experience. You can learn a heck of a lot in a silent four minutes.